Good morning, church. Everybody else has been enjoying doing that recently. I thought I would too. When I became an IT consultant, I learned a new language. Even though I grew up as a native English speaker, when I joined IT, I found that familiar words and phrases had new meanings. Let me provide a few examples. The word picnic is actually an acronym. It means problem in chair, not in computer. <laughs> and this is the answer of a lot of technical support calls. The second word is insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. Lastly, the phrase, I want a pony. This one I thought I understood because when I was growing up, I wanted a pony too. Unfortunately, in the IT world, I want a pony means dream on, you're not getting it. <laughs> you getting that is as likely as me getting a pony. I mentioned this last one because I started using it all the time. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I used it in conversations with my, my wife, my family, my friends, and one day without thinking about it, I said it to my daughter. She was three or four at the time. She asked me for something cute and completely unreasonable, and uh, I responded, well, I want a pony. She looked at me and got this big smile on her face, and she said, Daddy, I have lots of ponies. I'd be happy to give you one. What color do you want? <laughs> it was the last time that I said, I want a pony, because I finally had someone who was going to give it to me. It turns out sarcasm doesn't work as well in the real world as it does in cartoons. Today, we're going to be talking about work, and that work is a gift and that the fruits of your labor are gifts as well. Work isn't a curse, and it isn't just a thing standing between you and what you want. I want to bring you reassurance and glad tidings. You can rejoice in the work that you've been given, that there is value in the work that you have to do under the sun, even though the output of your work is meaningless or hevel. It's meaningless vanity, and it's impermanent. Your work has a purpose, though, in finding satisfaction in your toil, because that's a gift from God, and God's gifts have value. The origin of today's sermon comes from last year when I delivered my first sermon on Ecclesiastes. In my notes, I started keeping a tally of how many times I saw the words work and labor and toil. They were everywhere. And even though the teacher presents a lot of glass-half-empty information, when discussing work, it was often in a positive light. So in my last sermon, I highlighted several other phrases that are repeated multiple times by the teacher. Of course, everything is meaningless or vanity. This word, hevel, it's mentioned 33 times. Uh, additionally, in the teacher's investigation about whether anything had meaning, he says, I looked or I saw that. He says that 43 times. I searched or I tested myself. He says this 36 times, and three times he says, I know that. Just three. To this list of repeated phrases, 
I'd like the words which are collectively translated as work or labor or toil because these words appear 40 times. And it appears in at least every chapter of Ecclesiastes. And even with the teacher's insistence that everything is meaningless, the teacher does not say over and over that work is meaningless. In fact, he spends the first half of chapter 2 talking about all the great projects that he did. He built houses, he planted vineyards, he planted trees, he made gardens, he made parks, he made reservoirs, he bought, he owned, he acquired, he amassed, and I'm getting the feeling that he was having a good time. I don't think that this was pure 9-to-5 drudgery for him, even if it ended up being meaningless. In fact... My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. The reward for his labor was taking delight in his work. And this isn't just picking a verse out of context. In fact, if you remember, there's a short list of just three things that the teacher knows. And the very first one on that list is, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. But why? Why is finding satisfaction in their toil a gift from God? Why is there so much focus on Ecclesiastes that the word needs to be repeated 40 times? Before we try to answer those questions, let's take a moment to pray and ask God for help understanding the message this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to gather together and study your word this morning. Please, Lord, guide us this morning. Help me to get out of the way of the message that you have for us and protect the meaning of your word in each of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to answer the question, why is there so much focus on work in Ecclesiastes? Let's rewind back to the beginning, the very beginning. Let's turn back to Genesis 1, where we see God at work creating the universe, earth, and man. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. By the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's a lot to unpack here. First, we are created in God's image. God has revealed himself in the first 28 verses of Genesis 1 as a creator. God has been working and bringing forth his ideas into reality. He is looking at his work, and he is seeing that it's good. 
He's created humans in his own image and has given them work to do. They are to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And God placed man in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The two words that are translated to work and take care of are used together another 19 times in the Old Testament. And they can also be understood to mean serve and guard as with the temple and also following and keeping, as in following the Lord and keeping his commandments. So the work that Adam and Eve were given was to maintain the garden in a good physical and spiritual state. The garden was God's dwelling place with them. They were to bring order to what was outside the garden, and by doing so, extend God's dwelling place, his kingdom, and make God known to their descendants with the goal of filling the earth with worshipers. And going back to the fact that we're made in God's image, our work was to be creative. And we can see the remnants of that in careers today. Because of creation, we have farmers and scientists, architects, developers, artists, all the professions that express creativity in some way. We also see that we were given work to support each other in our families work for which there is no salary. Parenting, home management, cooking, caring for others. And that type of work would honor our relationship with him and with each other. But as you know, there's more to the story. And with their disobedience, Adam and Eve's sin radically changed the nature of work. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Because of their sin, there is now a lot more work. Not only do we have to work harder to reach the desired result, because our work produces thorns and thistles in addition to what we were trying to achieve, but there's also a whole new class of work in addition to the creative work that we were to do before the fall. We must now work to combat the decay of the world in our bodies. This new kind of work includes the work of healing, repairing, cleaning, restraining, and restoring. So the work of doctors and nurses, dentists, police, judges, corrections officers, funeral directors, government, auditors, testers, and so forth are now also necessary. But I want to point out again, work was created prior to the fall. Work is not the curse. We were created to work and serve. Work has intrinsic value. But because of the curse, the work that we do will be frustrated and frustrating. And there will be more of it. So that's it with Genesis. And on the way back to Ecclesiastes, let's take one more detour and this time fast forward to the end of time. 
Isaiah 65 tells us about the new heaven and the new earth. And guess what? We're working there too. I will create a new heavens, new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. So in the new heavens and new earth, God will again work, creating a new Jerusalem that will be a delight, and we will be glad and rejoice forever in his kingdom. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. As the days of a tree, so will it be for the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. And here we are, working. In fact, building houses and planting vineyards. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly how the teacher starts his not-so-humble brag in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. And on this new earth, we will enjoy the work of our hands, no longer constrained and frustrated by the curse. We will enjoy forever in God's creation, and we will find satisfaction and enjoyment in our work. But we will absolutely be working. All right, back to Ecclesiastes. So in the context of this broken world, bookended on either side with work that will be complete and fulfilling, the teacher, the grumpy old teacher, says that work is one of the best things that we can spend our meaningless time on here under the sun. But why? Why is work one of the best things we can do if it's cursed? I think there are four key reasons why the teacher says that work is important even if our work will be frustrated because of the curse. They are, it's good to work because laziness and idleness go against our very nature. It's good to work because our time on earth is limited. Work provides the fruit of our labor and an opportunity to practice contentment and controlling of our appetites. And there's nothing better for us to do than to work. So let's cover those a bit slower now. First, we're built to work. That's what we're created for. But just as important, laziness is dangerous. It leads to destruction, and the teacher warns us several times. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening, let your hands not be idle and fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Laziness and idleness lead to misfortune and ruin. Laziness and idleness go against the nature of God in whose image we are created. In fact, in the New Testament, listen to how Jesus responds after he healed a man at Bethesda on the Sabbath and was confronted by the Jewish leaders. So because Jesus was doing these things on a Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So the first reason it's good to work, it's because laziness and idleness go against our very nature. 
Reason number two, time on earth is a limited time offer. We're told that anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. The dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Okay, so we have a limited time to do it. But is that a compelling reason in and of itself? Well, if we're going to be working on the new earth, this is our time to practice. We need to learn how to be citizens of heaven. Or as C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity, Christianity asserts that we're going to live forever. Now, there are a great many things that wouldn't be worth bothering about if I was only going to live 80 years or so. But I had better bother about them if I'm going to go on living forever. Perhaps my bad temper or jealousy are getting worse so gradually that the increase in my lifetime will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct term for it. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. But you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish that you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it. Just the grumble itself going on and on forever like a machine. In each of this, there is something growing, which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. So, to recap, it's good to work because it's in our very nature. Our time on earth is limited. And the reason number three that C.S. Lewis pointed at is work provides uh, the fruit of our labor in an opportunity to practice contentment and controlling of our appetites. You know, the excerpt from Mere Christianity had us thinking of things on a, on a different time scale. I believe the teacher throughout Ecclesiastes is, is speaking from a similar time scale. The repeated use of the word hevel, or meaningless, is to compare our fleeting work and lives to the permanence of the mountains or the ocean. 10,000 years ago and 10,000 years in the future, the mountains and the ocean will still be there. But the work that we have done during our lifetimes, it's like a vapor. At the same time, the teacher encourages not to focus on this larger timescale, but instead to focus on today. And in that focus, I believe that he says that it is our attitude that makes something good or makes it meaningless. We are to be content and enjoy what the Lord has granted us. Multiple people are used as negative examples, people who are storing wealth to their detriment, a man who is working and never takes a day off. Of these people, it is asked, what good is it for you? do this. Instead, we are to be happy with our lot 
and we should pray for the ability to enjoy the fruits of our labor, to enjoy life and find satisfaction in our toilsome labor. Ecclesiastes 5.12 is, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. In contrast, it's clear what we should not do. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So this is our time to enjoy the fruit of our labors, to sleep well and find satisfaction in our toil. And the final reason, reason number four, is that there is nothing better for us to do. I'm going to cover these quickly. And I'm not going to go into a lot of explanation as I believe that the text says it better than I could. The teacher makes the point that there is nothing better for us to do than to find satisfaction in our work and accept our lot from God. These are gifts. He makes this point seven times and a couple times, even twice in the same chapter. A person can do no better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? This is what I observe to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, because this is a gift from God. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. And the last one is, go and eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife who you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and your toilsome labor under the sun. So, in conclusion, to cover the ground that we've covered here. Disobedience in the garden led to the curse, and the curse transformed work. Instead of work providing satisfaction, it produces thistles, thorns, and frustration. It's not possible to find satisfaction by working harder or accumulating more wealth. 
The teacher assures us that there is nothing new under the sun, and he tells us that he tried as hard as he could with riches and resources beyond our imaginations. And even then, it is not possible. Satisfaction cannot be found with meaningless vanity, with hevel, something that is without substance, like smoke or shadow. But you are made in God's image and have been instructed to work. Creative work, unpaid work, caring for others, and yes, extra work to keep things from falling apart because our world is broken. We will have jobs in heaven. We will work, find satisfaction in that work, and rejoice in the work of God's hands. In preparation for our work in heaven, we should take the time to practice now, as work is a gift from God. We should avoid being lazy, as laziness goes against the image of God in which we were created. We should make the best of our time on earth, as it is limited, but our souls are eternal. We should find satisfaction in our work and enjoy the fruits of our labor and learn to control the desires which drive us to want more and more. Because there is nothing better for us to do than enjoy the gifts that God has given us. He has provided us work. He has provided us his son. And he has provided us each other to fellowship with and to care for. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to study your word this morning and to worship in your house. Please bless us this week. Provide us the strength to do your work. Help those of us who are looking for new jobs to find them and grant us the ability to enjoy the fruits of our labor, to enjoy life, and to find satisfaction in our toil under the sun. In Jesus' name, amen.